Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Praise God. Well, let's go to Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. It's kind of in our key scriptures for this this mini-series. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So in this we see that making disciples of all nations, and I think sometimes the church took that to mean leave your home and and leave your surroundings and go to foreign nations, and it definitely does imply that and mean that, but we're not supposed to forsake our local community. The word disciples is not only a pupil, somebody that is taught, but somebody that becomes an imitator of their teacher. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to yield myself to the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for ears that are open and eyes that see. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we we talked about that the Christians were named that because to the world, outside world, they imitated and they looked like little Christs. Um, So that's where the name Christian became, or followers after Christ, because they imitated their leader. This week we had a special guest speaker here on Wednesday. Uh, It was very, very good. And as I was thinking about what was shared, he was talking about God's going to do a new thing and new things. And I kind of thought, you know, I've been kind of talking about to be aware, be wary of new things because um, like we talked the 2020 or Dateline, one of those programs went to a grocery store and bought all the things that said new and or improved. And then they contacted the companies and found out that in most cases it wasn't really something new, but just repackaging. Uh, so I was ask, asking the Lord about that and, and, uh, kind of had an example. Unfortunately, it's not a pistachio field this time. <laughs> no, Mike was hoping for that, right? Uh, we have, uh, you know, NFL, I think most people are familiar with football and, the, and the, the basic rules. Well, over time, football has changed. If you look back in the, the early years, it was pretty much a, a running game, and there wasn't a lot of offense, and it really wasn't exciting, but as TV got more involved in, in, the, in football and we had uh, rule changes so that the offense could be more uh, explosive and more entertaining, and we saw football kind of change, and uh, those rules are what we're going to 
look at and say are kind of like doctrines of, of the church. It's the beliefs. Uh, not too, too long ago, we had a coach come along and said that he was going to bring out something new. And I believe he was coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they went to what we would call a hurry-up offense. They looked at um, how many times on an average game a team has the ball. And I'm going to say 50 handles. During an average game, there's three what they call uh, explosive it could be, uh, things that happen. It could be a bad referee call that went for or against your team. It could be a, a sensational play, broken coverage. You know, something happened during the game that was unexpected. And so they have this, you know, over, over time they had this figured out. Well, this coach figured if he could go to um, a hurry-up offense, uh, they could get in... Uh, 15 more plays, which is about 30%. And, of course, the advantage of the offense being able to come in and do the hurry up is you keep the defense from doing the, the switch out. And the guys get tired, you know, you get 300-pound guys running around the field. <clears throat> they, they're not used to doing that for a long period of time. It, it wears them out. And so to begin with, it was pretty successful. They were able to change um, and 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 we're pretty successful with it. And I kind of looked at that as, you know, the rules of the game didn't change, but the application did. God is not going to change the doctrine. He's not going to rewrite the Bible. The, the things that are written in here are, are true for eternity. Uh, if the Bible says that if this isn't true, God would st cease to exist. Um, he is a, a person, a God of his word, and he's not going to change his word. So... If you came to, to me and, and said, you know, that um, the blood isn't important, uh, you know, it's not really about Jesus' physical life, it's not really about that, it's more about his philosophy and what he talked about and, you know, how he interacted with people, it's more social, um, well, I'd, I'd tell him you have to give me scripture for that, and I'd want more scriptures for that. You know, the, the Bible says that without the remission of, of sin, or without, the re, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we know the blood is important. Um, Hebrews says that the blood of Jesus cries out better things than the blood of Abel. Uh, Abel's blood cried out for justice. He was an unjust man that was, you know, died early, uh, nothing to do with of what of his fault, and so his blood was crying out from the earth. God said, and crying out for justice. Uh, Jesus' blood was placed on the mercy seat and cries out innocence. We're declared innocent. We're declared mercy. We have the blood of Jesus. Uh, and you might think that, well, that's a, might be a new doctrine. Uh, Paul fought against it. He wrote against it in the, in the epistles, that there was teaching going out that, yes, there was this man, Jesus, but he really wasn't the Son of God. It was more about what his teachings were and his, his life. It wasn't really about what he accomplished on the earth. And we see that teaching coming back up again in the, uh, you know, there's more than one way to God. We see, uh, you know, religion being grouped together as all religions, and you pick which way you want to approach God. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches that there's one way, and that's through salvation and believing in God. Uh, <clears throat> John 3.16 says, let's go over there real quick. 
know most of us can quote this, but it's good to look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we talked about eternal life being more than just living forever, but actually having a relationship and knowing God and having God involved in our everyday life. Uh, knowing God is an intimate relationship. I shared, you know, last week that um, I was offended, and one thing I wanted to bring out is the book that we had been studying is called The Bait of Satan by John Bervere, and that's a real good good book to to get and read and study if you are um, if you have issues of unforgiveness or anger in your life. Uh, it's just a good book to, to read for everyone. But one of the things I was thinking about is, is, you know, God told me I should probably go back in and apologize. And you have that uh, small, still voice talking to you, and now you've got a choice to make. You can either choose to listen to it and, and do that, or you can choose to override it. Uh, I've been praying since... Uh, Jim was here. Jim, New York. What's what's Jim? Yeah, thank you, Hockaday. Uh, I can call him New York. He calls me German, so <laughs> it's lovingly. Um, he he was talking, and and he 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 does a confession that you know I know the Holy Spirit. I hear the Holy Spirit. I follow the Holy Spirit. I know what He wants. I you know He's in me. He you know and you and I've been doing that. And you can't do that. And then at the same time, when you do hear Him speaking to you override it and expect to, con to have success. As you override it, it's going to become harder and harder to hear that and to obey. And the Bible kind of talks about that as being the uh, hardening of your heart, where you, uh, you know what's right, you know what you're supposed to do, but you choose not to obey, whether, you know, continually uh, or just that one time. But um, listening to that Listening to that still small voice and, and giving into it and following it uh, is going to help you to follow the Holy Spirit. We can't live any way we want to. We talked about uh, in this um, gospel, the, the person that heralds the gospel, the, the pronouncer, he isn't pronouncing his own will. He's pronouncing the, the will of the person that he represents. And so we know that we don't have the right to just believe anything we want to. It's our duty on this, in this lifetime is to understand this word and apply it to our lives and understand it as, as best as we can. And if we're wrong, then we change. Uh, and we, you know, uh, I told the story of a uh, when we were looking for a different vehicle, I had determined I would never own a station wagon. And I'm walking along going, I don't want a station wagon, don't want a station wagon. And God says, that's the car for you. And I go, okay, it's a station wagon. That's the car for me. So now I did a 180. It was a great car, but I, you know, you, sometimes in life that will happen. You have your mind set, but God shows up and says, okay. And then you have that choice again to harden your heart or to follow it. Uh, we're going to look at salvation by grace, and that's one of the doctrines of the church. Uh, let's go over to Luke 18. 
If you're in John, you can't go backwards and get to Luke. I'm sorry. So we need to be open to his leading and his guiding. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So salvation comes to us not by our works, but by the works that Jesus did. So let's look at verse 9 and 10. First of all, it says that Jesus was telling this parable because apparently in the crowd that he was talking to were uh, some that trusted in their own works. They trusted in their own righteousness. They've been a member of the church since early on. They were founding fathers. They uh, gave tithes. And so he's telling this parable with them in mind. And he says that these these, uh, people that he's talking to, the Pharisees, also look down on other people with contempt. They're not as good as I am. I'm a special class of citizen. I'm special to God. These other people, God doesn't even know that they exist. So they were pretty much uh, excited about themselves, we could say. Verse 10 says um, that two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax gatherer. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that the tax gatherer was a Jewish person uh, in most cases, but they had the ear of the Roman power in that area. So they could pretty much set their own wages. The Romans, when they came into a conquered a nation, they didn't want to get involved in the politics of the individual nation. They pretty much let the nations rule themselves and have their own laws. They just would quench it if it ever became an uprising and went against the Roman government. But they would... But they would uh, be uh, would allow the nation to rule them or not rule themselves, but govern themselves, their own traditions. They didn't get involved. So the average Roman person didn't understand the Jewish religion. They didn't really care to understand the Jewish religion. But what they they were just the muscle, so to say. So the tax gatherer was at a great in a great position because he could pretty much uh, demand whatever he wanted. He would tell the, the Roman you know, government, this is what's fair, and you know, skim off of the top, so to speak, and turn in the, 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 the taxes. So the Romans were happy, they're getting paid, and the tax gatherers were looked at uh, very, very unlovingly because of this, most of them took advantage of that position. 
to, so to these people, the, the Pharisees, who trusted in the things that they did, they were self-righteous, uh, they were very much about themselves, and then the publicans were at the other end of the, the spectrum in their, in their thinking. Um, they were using other people to make their income, and the Pharisees did not think that was right. And probably there were a lot of tax collectors that were, uh, you know, charging more than what was fair uh, just for their own gain. Verse 11 and the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. It's interesting that Jesus put it that way, because he addressed God. He's, and, you know, if you look at his prayer, it says, "God, I thank thee." In verse eleven, but Jesus said that he wasn't—he wasn't praying to God. He was out praying out loud to himself. He was saying, "Hey." Everybody, listen to me. This is, you know, what I did this week. I'm going to tell about myself. Listen in. So the Pharisee was, was praying to himself and judged others on how they looked. We, unfortunately, have some of this in the church, in, in the, the body of church in, in general, is that we have a tendency to judge other people, on, sometimes on how they looked. Uh, I was sitting across the table from a young man in the county jail at the Bible study, and he told me that three years earlier he had gone to a church here in, in Billings, and they asked him to leave. And I, I said, you know, what, was there a conflict or something? He said, no, they didn't, didn't like the way I, I looked. I didn't look like, you know, the rest of them. And three years went by before he had an... He, uh, was at a place where he reached out to God again. And I talked to him about during that time, all the, all the hurt that he went through, all the people that, you know, when, when somebody is in jail, there's other people that are hurt outside, you know, usually family. Um, so that brought hurt to his, not only to him, but also to his family. And why? Because somebody judged him to be, a lesser class. They judged him to be a tax gatherer, so to speak. In verse 12, uh, he's, oh, let's finish out his prayer. I'm sorry. Verse 11, I thank thee, God, I thank thee that I'm not like all these other people. They're swindlers, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee is continuing to make a list. He kind of has that checklist. I'm good because I've done this and this, and I attend Sunday school, and I read my Bible, and I'm better than other people because I, I at least pray over my food at least three times a day. Snacks, sometimes I don't pray over. Uh, <laughs> but he was very much about what, what he did made him right in his own eyes, and he wanted other people to know that. Uh, <clears throat> the tax gatherer or the publican in verse, verse 13 is being said as, you know, Jesus picked somebody who he knew the Pharisees wouldn't side with. And he, he said, but the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. And there, this talks about in the Old Testament that 
A lot of times when they were in deep sorrow, they would rent their clothes, they would tear their uh, clothes, they sometimes would throw uh, ashes up in the air and have it come down on them. And, you know, it was a sign of repentance, it was a sign of, of sorry, sorrowful. And so this tax gatherer publican was very sorrowful of what he had done. And he said, God, be merciful to me. I, I can't come to you in my own uh, standing. I can't come to you out of what I've done. I don't deserve what you know forgiveness, but I'm asking for it. I'm asking for it. And he said, "God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner." And Jesus said, "I tell you, this man, the publican, the tax gatherer, one the the Pharisees would hate, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other." And justified means, in simple terms, uh, just as if I had never sinned. So Jesus is saying this man went away forgiven. His sins were forgiven just as if he had never sinned rather than the other, and the other being the, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The tax collector found forgiveness Jesus came to save the sinners. He said that repeatedly when the when the they would, the disciples would come to him and say, "Hey, the scribes or the Pharisees are are asking us this," or or the scribes or the Pharisees would ask Jesus directly, and he would say things <clears throat> like, "I came for the sick." You know, the the healthy don't need a physician. I came for the sick. I came for those that are hurting. So grace is a free, unmerited favor of God towards people who don't deserve it. It can't be earned. It's a gift. Uh, it has to be received. A plea bargain uh, is an offer to forgive or wipe away some, something that happened in order if you accept this other circumstances. And Every, I think everybody knows that a plea bargain has to be accepted. If a plea bargain isn't accepted, usually there's a, uh, an expiration on it. And if it expires, then it's no longer valid. And that's what, what Jesus did for us. We had a guilty sentence, and Jesus gave us, uh, said, hey, I will take your guilty sentence if you'll accept my righteousness. And that plea bargain was at no cost to us. All we had to do was accept it. Let's look at Romans 5, 17 and 18. Romans 5, 17. For if... The transgressions of one, death, oh, I'm sorry, for, for if by the transgressions of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as though one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. 
So in verse 17, it's talking about if by one transgression of the one, that's Adam. Adam was uh, spiritually alive, Adam was tested, and Adam didn't pass the test. And because he didn't pass the test, uh, our race, the human race, was judged uh, as guilty. Uh, we were um, in high treason to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We had disobeyed his laws. And therefore, everyone that was born into that lineage uh, carried that same mark. So death reigned through Adam. And then it says, much more. If one person can bring uh, a curse, can bring uh, sickness and disease, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness, the gift of right standing with God was brought through the one, Jesus Christ. So through one, Adam resulted in condemnation, resulted in the curse. And through the other, so... Adam was spiritually alive, tested, and failed. Jesus was spiritually alive, tested, and passed. And for some reason, we think that the, 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 the failure is stronger than the, uh, than the, the, the success, but it isn't. Um, you know, this is what, what God set this up. We didn't set it up. You know, you, nobody came to me and asked me, hey, if, if you know, I'm God, and, and if... Uh, I'm sorry, didn't mean it that way. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> if God came to me and said, hey, I'm going to sacrifice my son, and then he's going to die, and then you receive him, does that work for you? Um, no, didn't happen. He didn't, didn't ask me, wasn't involved. I was born into a sinful nature. It, I didn't do anything of my fault per se. I didn't have to do anything to receive righteousness other than to accept it. Uh, so that's what we need to do. So Adam, you know, we all think that he, uh, you know, I, I guess people have said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to, you know, going to have some words at Adam's house, you know. Well, he, he missed it one time, you know, and then after that. Um, but how many of us could, could say we, we would have done better had we been there? So uh, that gift is exactly that. It can't be earned. It is a gift, and it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go over to John, 1 John, I'm sorry, John 1.17. And it says, For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. So that grace is available to us, to those that humble themselves. It's you know you, you talk to people and well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna accept Jesus. I you know I don't want to bow to him. They may not say those words, but they think they're able to live good enough on their own. And to go you know to to Jesus and say, hey, I messed it up. I, I'll give you my life. If you can make something out of it, do it. Uh, to humble yourself, just like the, the tax gatherer did in that parable, and to ask Christ into your life uh, is the greatest thing that you can do. And it is a, a free gift that we don't have to pay back. Our works can't pay it back.
we have to understand that we don't have any um, right to stand before God on our own as a fallen, as a fallen person. Uh, we have to accept that gift. Let's go to Romans 10. And verse 13. You know, somebody might say, well, that's, that just sounds way too easy. Don't I have to add some of my own good works? Don't I have to do something? Uh, Romans 10.13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And to a Jewish person, they would understand that, you know, calling on the name of the Lord would be to humble themselves, to accept what he has done uh, for them as far as becoming the, the sacrifice, the lamb of God that uh, would, be, would be slain and the blood would be offered up for them. All mankind that calls on him, Jew or Gentile, will be saved. There's no... Uh, I kind of kind of like the kind of like to think of this as the the equalizer. Uh, you can be uh, athletically uh, gifted or not. You can be uh, intellectually gifted or not. You can you know you can be mechanically have mechanical aptitude or be clumsy. It doesn't matter who you are. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you have the same. Uh, right, they have the the same opportunity to to ask Jesus into your heart as the most gifted, talented person you could think of. Uh, this is the the great equalizer, and I think God made it that way so that no one could say, "Well, I didn't have the opportunity that others had. I didn't, you know, I wasn't gifted in this area." You don't have to be. All you have to do is believe and ask Him into your heart. And we know uh, most of us could probably quote 1 John 1, 8 through 9, confess our sins, and he is faithful to forgive us. So when we go to him and we ask for forgiveness, and we've missed it, we've gotten upset, uh, we've been offended, then we can go to him and, and he is faithful to forgive those sins. We talked about for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditches. So there's plenty of opportunity to get off of off the right path. I was thinking about what does it take to keep a car on the road. And if you do an alignment on a car, you adjust three things. Caster, camber, and toe-in. And so caster, um, it ensures good stability helps maintain straight ahead direction and promotes steering wheel self-centering. So as you're going down the road, if your uh, caster is set correctly, the car, you let go of the steering wheel, the car will have a tendency to go straight. Uh, it will have a tendency to um, get the steering wheel set. So, you know, you ever run down the road with your steering wheel that wasn't adjusted correctly and it kind of, yeah, it kind of bugged you because you couldn't see the, the instruments on the panel like you were supposed to. The second one is camber. Uh, this is 
used to distribute the load across the tire. If you think of the tire, if the tires are set wrong, they're going to run on the outside edge or on the inside edge, and you're going to wear your tires out quickly. Um, improper camber uh, increases tire wear, and a vehicle can also pull to one side or the other. So if your adjustment is incorrect, you're going to have a tendency to, to go into the ditch on this side or that side. Uh, Toe-in is how the tires are aligned to each other, either in or out, and again, it, it uh, directly affects how many miles you're going to be able to get on your tires, how long they're going to last. So why did I bring all that up? Because any one of these adjustments is, is fairly minor. When you're on the alignment rack, um, you're not talking about moving you know, things large distances. Uh, and with computers now, I'm sure it's different than when I uh, went through alignment class. But you, you, you even have what they, what's known as a, a regional uh, variation. So you'll look up in the vehicle's owner's manual, you'll find the numbers that th was designed for to run on. And then like when I was in alignment class in Colorado, we adjusted some of those because here in Montana, like in Colorado, the roads have a little bit of hump to them because when the snow starts melting, they want the water to dissipate off, of, off into the shoulders. So that road may have a little bit more um, hump to it than say Florida or, or Southern California where the roads might be flatter because they don't have snow that melts uh, slowly. So sometimes those adjustments aren't that major. They're just a minor tweaking and putting it, getting it back into alignment. And sometimes in our lives uh, we have things that are, are pretty well set but they just need a little bit of tweaking. They need a little bit of, a, of adjustment. We need to change just a little bit of how we think on, on other people or on, on how God's talking to us. And everyone may have different circumstances that they're looking at and going through. But sometimes it's not a throw the, you know, the baby out with the bash, bath water and start all over. Uh, it's uh, just a, a minor adjustment. God says that he knows the plans that he has for us, that they're to do good and to prosper us. And sometimes, like I said, some, we, we need to be able to adjust and get our vehicle back running down the middle of the road. You know, we have a hard time uh, believing that we're righteous and that we're in right standing with God. And that's, I think, because we keep checking on the natural. We keep checking... Um, we know ourselves very well, and so we keep looking at that, and we, we, we know our faults, and we, we know our tendencies. I was driving down the, uh, the interstate many years ago, and the car I was driving had you know four gauges, had the oil pressure and the water uh, temperature and the amp meter and the volt meter and speedometer and tachometer and I'm just cruising down the road and I all of a sudden I hear this horrible noise kind of a tick 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 and it's getting louder and I'm looking at the gauges and I'm like what's going on what's going on I can't see everything looks good on the gauges but this noise is getting louder and then this car drives by me and I'm like <laughs> I, I would have pulled over a long time ago. Well, there's something wrong. I got to fix it. So the moral of the story is don't, 
Drive fast enough so other people can't pass you. <laughs> no, the moral of the story is I should have trusted my gauges and not gone by what I was hearing because what I was hearing was coming from the outside. And sometimes we're that same way with, with ourselves. We look at ourselves and we go, you know, I have a tendency to get angry, I, you know, or I, uh, this irritates me or, or this or, you know, uh, I don't like long lines and drive-throughs, and and we, <laughs> you know, we, amen. <laughs> Especially at Wendy's, right? <laughs> you know, so we know those things about us, but we're not looking at the gauges. The gauges say that we're righteous. The gauges says that you know Jesus' blood was shed and and covered up our sins. The gauges tell are telling us that there's blood in heaven. You know Moses um, said that he made the furniture in the temple after what he saw in in heaven. And so there's. Uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant with blood on the mercy seat that's crying out on our behalf. And we need to allow ourselves to go with that rather than to um, go with the outside noises that uh, are making us look around and, and be concerned about what's going on. Romans 3.21 through 23. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no d distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Sorry, I should have added 24 to that. So we see that, that separate from the law, separate from good deeds, separate from works, uh, comes righteousness, the righteousness of God. Uh, this isn't a middle-class righteousness. When we were, uh, got born again, God gave us His righteousness. He said, "You're just gonna, you're gonna be as right standing before the throne of uh, my throne as my Son is, because that's whose righteousness we we got. There is no distinction. In fact, one one person said, if you could." If you could take the, um, the spirit of Jesus out of his physical body and yours, uh, you're born again, you couldn't tell the difference between the, the spirits. They would be identical because we received the righteousness of God. Um, world's religion will tell you that you have to earn and achieve. So they'll tell you that, you know, well, now that you, you know, um, accepted Jesus, now you have to do all these things, and they, they add quite a, quite a list. But the good news of the gospel is that God offered his very own righteousness to us, and that all we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is ask him into our heart, and we will be and are as righteous as he is. So we can come boldly, the Bible says, into the throne of grace and ask for mercy. And we can give our petitions to, to our Father God. He loves us. Second Corinthians 5.21 We might be made righteous, be made the righteousness of God in him. It's the same righteousness. 
We'll go over there real quick. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. How much simpler can it get? Uh, you know, we talked about truth in, in a previous series, and we talked about when we stumble onto truth, it will be reflected in multiple scriptures. This resonates through the whole New Testament. Uh, Galatians 2.21, not by the law, but by righteousness. Not by our own righteousness. Uh, Romans 5.17, for therefore if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's not that spiritually dead person anymore. He's been moved into a different kingdom. Old things are passed away and new things have come. So when you're driving down life's road, look at your gauges. Look at, the, look at what's true. Keep that in, in front of you. Uh, what God says about you is more, more correct than what you say about yourself. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to share. Thank you for understanding. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.